I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. We are a family on a journey towards financial and location independence. Each week, we interview successful real estate entrepreneurs about their chosen investment strategy and rate it based on how much money it took to get started, how long it took to educate themselves, how passive it is, and whether or not they could do it from anywhere in the world. Welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. If you like our show, the easiest way for you to give back is to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Head on over to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash review for links and instructions on how to do that. We would be so grateful. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Greetings, friends and families. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. You're listening to The Road to Family Freedom. Joining us today is Mr. Marco Santarelli. Marco, how are you today? I'm doing great, guys. How are you? We're doing fantastic. Good, good. It's so you. good to have you. Thank you. So Marco Santarelli is an investor, author, and the founder of Narada Real Estate Investments, a nationwide provider of turnkey investment property. Since 2004, they've helped thousands of people create wealth and passive income with real estate. He's also the host of the top-rated passive real estate investing podcast. With all that said, Marco, you want to give our friends and families a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure. Thanks for the uh, great intro, guys. Um, so uh, what I'm focused on personally is just continuing to create you know, my family's wealth, You know, what we might refer to as legacy wealth. Um, but from a business perspective, I am teaching people all the time through our podcast and, and resources and books and articles how to create financial freedom. You guys, you know, refer to family freedom, and that's I love that phrase. It's it's fantastic. But you know, what do we all want? We want time freedom. How do you get time freedom? You 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 build your your financial independence through financial freedom, and there are many ways to do that. And I'm you know maybe sounding a little biased, but obviously real estate for me is is is, is a proven, historically proven um, wealth creation vehicle. And so I love to teach people freely, you know, how to do that. And it looks like you guys are doing the same thing, which is, which is great. Um, but that's, the, that's, you know, the drive on the business side of things. So um, does that answer your question or do you want me to go deeper than that? No, that's good. But uh, so talk to us just a little bit about Narada and and what you guys uh, and what you do. Sure. So from a business perspective, our company essentially is here to help people build their real estate portfolio so they can create financial freedom and passive income. Because when you have when you create wealth and you build passive income for yourself, what you have is essentially financial freedom. If you get enough of it um, to cover all your expenses and then some to sustain the lifestyle that you want now and in the future then you've created financial freedom for yourself. And so for us, we're really just helping people um, in almost a done-for-you model create real estate portfolios in markets all around the country with completely turnkey rental properties that are professionally managed, cash flow from day one, tenants in place. Um, We have the entire team of everything and anything someone would need from financing to the properties themselves to the property management, et cetera, et cetera. So that in a very quick nutshell, is the value and the service that we provide at no cost to investors. Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, so someone, you've got a lot of services there. Someone that is looking to uh, invest in a property with you or properties with you, um, what knowledge do they need to have coming into this? Yeah, good question. So it's not that they need to be um, an expert in any way, shape, or form. We know that that with knowledge, 
one is going to come in at a different level. Some people will be a complete green newbie. They just know they have the, the, the desire to invest in real estate because they know that's the direction they need to go. And they'll require a lot more handholding and, and, and education. And we'll recommend various books and podcasts and whatnot to them in order for them to get to the next level. But the thing is, is it doesn't matter where you are on that learning curve. Um, you can invest in real estate if you have the foundation in place. And we'll make sure that people have that foundation. Uh, surprisingly, most people who come to us already have spent enough time thinking about it and educating themselves to the point where they know, okay, I understand what I need to do. I just need someone to hold my hand and help me do it. And that's a matter of market selection, neighborhood selection, assembling a team, picking a property, getting financing, going through escrow, closing, having management come into, into place. Uh, you can do that yourself piece by piece, you know, step by step. Or you can have someone basically give it all to you. And that's essentially what we've done. We, you know, we have all these providers vetted and in place for every single market and every single property. So this is what I mean that we have an almost done for you model is that most of it's there. You just have to obviously take ownership and go through the steps and walk with us through that process. So you, you talk about the foundation. What are, what are sort of the foundation, um, what's the foundational knowledge that you would want somebody to come to the table with? Well, an understanding of what real estate is as an asset class, you don't need to be an economist, but just understand that, you know, real estate is, is, a, is a hard asset. It's stable. It's rooted. It is managed. It is controllable. Uh, it generates income. It is truly an asset. You can get good debt and put it against it so you can finance the bulk of that purchase. Um, really, if people understand cash flow and the fact that you can put um, money in your pocket every month and every year because you own investment real estate, that's, that is a lot right there. You know, it doesn't sound like much, but it's really a lot because most people don't really think outside the box of working nine to five and, and putting money away in a 401k or, or an IRA. And they think that retirement is all about these, what I refer to as alternative investments, whereas financial planners refer to those as, you know, mainstream investments in real estate being the alternative asset class. And that's not really the case. So when you're in this world tied to paper assets, which are stocks, bonds, mutual funds, in other words, the equities market, you're at the whim of the market. You have no control over it. You, you don't have a crystal ball that'll give you a forecast beyond, let's say a month from now, let alone a year. And so, unfortunately, you know, not most people who, who quote unquote invest in the stock market or in their retirement account, whether it's their own or through their employer, probably won't have enough when they get to retirement to sustain their existing lifestyle. And that's just a sad reality. The, the fact is, is right now is the last statistic I read was that less than 5.5% of people in the U.S. actually save money, put money away in savings. And that's, that's scary. And then Social Security may not even you know, be here down the road. A good friend of mine, you might have heard of him, Robert Kiyosaki. Well, he refers to Social Security as so-so security because you're not going to get much and it may not even be there by the time you retire. So you need to take ownership and plan for your own retirement and your own financial freedom. And you shouldn't even think about it as retirement. You could be planning for the, you know, the time when you turn 55, 60, 65, but the reality is, is you should be planning on how you want to be able to live your life for you and your family in five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years from now, that may not be when you're 65. But if you plan now to have a lifestyle or build a lifestyle that uh, you enjoy and takes care of your retirement, then you're really doing far more than 90% of the population. Yeah. Yeah. 
so I want to pa- unpack a couple of things. It was fantastic. You know, we often talk here about, um, to me, there's sort of two schools of thought when it comes to saving for retirement. There's the sort of the income approach or cash flow approach, and there's just the nest egg approach where, you know, you're trying to, you know, build enough of a nest egg in equities that, you know, at some point when you turn the spigot on, you're going to live on 4% of the portfolio for hopefully the rest of your life. And then there's the income or the cash flow approach, which is you buy assets that are cash flowing. And then once you've reached a point where you have the cash flow that enables you to live the lifestyle that you want, then you're retired, you're financially free. Well, okay. So let's just, let's just look at those two schools of thought. Um, if you, if, if, I don't know where this 4% comes from, like, you know, this is just a number of financial advisors pick out of the air, it seems. So if, if you think that 4% in interest, which is earned, which is still earned income, okay, you know, um, because you're going to be fully taxed on it. If you, if you think you can survive on 4% and let's just say you need a hundred thousand dollars a year gross to live off of pre, this is pre-tax. You need a nest egg of $2.5 million because 4% of that interest will give you a hundred thousand per year pre-tax. So that means you're going to be living off of anywhere from 40 to 60,000, depending on what state you live in. If that's enough to maintain your current lifestyle, assuming that you've paid off whatever debts need to have paid off by then, then great. You know, that, that may work for you, but you know, there's no guarantee that you're going to be getting 4% every year consistently. It could be more, could be less. Question is, is where are you going to get it and how are you going to get it? Um, with income real estate, you know, you can plan far in advance and you know what you're going to have in terms of equity down the road and in terms of cash flow down the road. Uh, you know, I always like to use the hundred thousand dollar property as the example. It, you know, it generates $250 a month, true net, net, net from day one. If you fully leverage it today down the road, that hundred thousand dollar property might be worth two, 300,000 because it's going to keep up with inflation, but the cash flow from it will also go up because of inflation. So, and then you, you amortize the loan. So now you have more cash flow every month because you're not going to have a loan at some point in time, assuming that's your strategy. Point I'm trying to make is that 250 a month becomes a thousand a month becomes 2,000 a month in time. Well, what if you had 10 houses paying you 2,000 dollars a month? That's pretty good. That's 20,000 a month in in gross income. Well, you know if you could do that, and it's very very doable for most people. You know you acquire one house a year, um, and people can save up enough. A household can save up enough to to acquire one house per year. Well, in 10 years, you're going to have 10 houses. If you amortize those loans over the next 10 to 20 years, you're going to be sitting on 10 to 20,000 a month in passive income. That's far more controllable and predictable than, you know, trying to get 4% on uh, hopefully a $2.5 million savings in your nest egg by the time you retire to get 100,000 a year in gross income. I know those are a lot of numbers, but this is, you're comparing paper assets in an area where you can't control versus, um, controllable, predictable income in a hard asset that t- keeps pace with inflation. Yeah. Yeah. How predictable is, is this kind of asset when you, I mean, obviously we hopefully we'll not go through 2008 again, but if we go through an economic downturn, um, what does that look like for someone who has a lot of their investments in like a cash flow property? This is, this is one of the many, many things that we obviously are going to help investors with when we talk to them and they have their strategy sessions with our investment counselors. But the answer is actually pretty simple if you think about it. 
the people who suffered back in the Great Recession where we had that downturn didn't actually invest properly. In fact, they didn't even invest. I say they were investing in quotes because what they were doing is speculating, not investing. They were buying properties and often building new new properties. Uh, and Henderson's a great example of that in, in Vegas where you guys live. People were buying these properties, new construction, in the hopes of flipping them in six to 12 months. And so they were just creating a chunk of cash, capital gains at the at the end of it. Well, there's no cash flow there. So if the market is appreciating and you're, you know, you're going, you're selling at the time when the market is still hot and there's a lot of people buying, great, you're gonna make off flipping these properties with chunks of cash. But but if the market flattens or turns on you as it did for many people in Nevada, as it did in Phoenix, as it did in Central California, as it did in Southwest Florida, we had thousands, if not tens of thousands of people caught with their shorts down because they bought this property that can't cash flow positively, so it doesn't carry itself, and they're upside down. The property's worth less than the debt or the mortgage that they put on it. So speculating is a loser's game, especially if you don't know how to time the market, and very few people know how to do that well. But when you buy in the right neighborhoods, the right markets and the right neighborhoods, and your property cash flows from day one, and the rates of return are comfortable enough that the real estate fluctuations in that market and in the economy uh, don't inf inf affect you or impact you, uh, then you're going to survive every real estate cycle. You'll survive every economic cycle. And that's really the answer to your question is you buy right and you buy with cash flow in mind. That way you can weather through the storms of anything that comes along. A three-year recession is not going to impact you because people need a place to live. And if you buy in the right neighborhoods, the right areas, you're always going to have tenants and, and occupancy in your properties. Yeah. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, um, you said it better than I could. <laughs> the, you know, the, what I often say is that cash flow is really, I mean, cash flow, you can live on the cash flow, but cash flow is also what keeps the lights on. It allows you, it's what allows you to time the market um, because you, you never want to be in a position of being forced to sell because Real estate will always go up, almost always, uh, given given enough time, um, you know. And and somebody people they often talk about, you know, in twenty years, what's Apple computers stock going to be worth versus what is your home going to be worth? Which one's going to be worth more? I would say there's more uh, more likelihood that your home is going to be more in value than Apple computers, even though it's Apple's a great investment. Nothing, not no knock against Apple, <laughs> right? So when people are purchasing from you, they, you're really providing a lot of the knowledge. Are there any sort of challenges that people need to overcome or might um, come up against? Or are you guys really kind of trying to buffer people from some of those typical challenges if someone was going about buying a single family home just on their own? Well, we want to make sure that you as a client or you as an investor, and whether you're working with us or not, don't step on the landmines that many um, newbie investors do. Uh, real estate is not that complicated. There are a lot of moving parts and you're dealing with a lot of different people because it's, it is a people business. It's not so much about the property. The property is just a part of it. Uh, but if you are able to have a clear purchase process, a, a methodology, a framework, if you will, that you know what to do step-by-step step along the way and what to look for. And we've literally, you know, I've created a two-page checklist. Literally, we call it the purchase process checklist. So we give it to our clients sometimes, you know, so they can just follow along. A lot of them understand the process already, but if they're really that green, they could they could see exactly where we are step by step along the way. And it's very 
it's it's very common sense ish, if you will, organized. Um, the thing is, is that there are certain things you want to look for and certain things you want to avoid. Like you don't want to buy in war zones or D-class neighborhoods. Um, that's not just an opinion. I've just seen it time and time again where people invest in areas where they shouldn't be or they're not comfortable with. And that's just a mistake because they're going to have uh, problematic tenants, higher turnovers, more costly turnovers. And, and, and we obviously want you to avoid those mistakes. So we're just going to I hate keep, to keep talking about us and what we do, but really it's, it's, a, it's a proven system that works time and time and time again with, with hundreds, if not thousands of investors that we've worked with. So avoid the landmines, have a clear path on exactly how to invest, what to look for and how to be successful. And we, you know, we have a framework for that. This is what you should avoid. This is what you should look for. And then it really just comes down to what your personal investment strategy is because everybody's going to have, a, well, we would hope most people have their goals laid out will help you build that but you're starting at a certain point you want to get to a certain point the question is how do we break that down into a roadmap so when you create a roadmap you can break that down into smaller and smaller goals and those ultimately become tasks and those are the targets you achieve and what we pull out of that which is what we're pulling out of your head is is your investment criteria for one person like um, you know client a they might be growth focused and they'll want to be in markets that still cash flow but have stronger growth potential, meaning appreciation potential. Uh, for others, they're, they just want boring markets. They want to be in cash flow markets where it's just predictable cash flow. They're not going to expect a lot of appreciation. It'll just keep up with inflation over time and that's about it. And uh, some people like the higher class, you know, better neighborhood type properties in the A minus communities where other people are fine in the bread and butter, blue collar working class communities, what we'll call a B or B minus. So these are the types of things that we'll kind of pull out of your head and define and help drive your your decisions as you build your portfolio that's a long answer to your short question but that's fine and i want to make sure that you know that that we're asking you these questions to know what you guys do and to help because we want our um, listeners to really understand that if this is the type of investing they want to do um what what they're really getting into with um working with a turnkey um, operator rather than trying to do this on their own because it's a different, it's a, it's a very, even though it's the same asset class, the process is different. So we've talked to some single family home investors that just do it on their own. Um, and, and that's a whole different ball game than obviously what you guys are doing. So that's kind of what I'm trying to, you know, what we're trying to draw out of you is like, how does this, how is this different from, um, you know, someone else who's doing it on their own and what, what are the benefits or, um, the, the hurdles that someone might need to, to get over. Do you want to turn that into a question? We can, uh, no, <laughs> not at all. I just wanted to make sure that you weren't, cause you said, you know, it's all about you, you were saying, you know, you're going back on, on what you guys are doing and that's really what we want from you. So don't feel like, you no, it's a good, no, it's a good point. And, and actually it's a good question because people do need to ask themselves, am I, Am I, am I, am I busy? I mean, you've, you've mentioned this somewhere along the line. I, you made a comment about people who, you know, have families and careers and they're busy with doing their thing and they want to spend time with their kids on the weekend and all that good stuff. Well, that's a, that's an investor that should be investing in real estate because they have a family and a future, but at the same time, they need to be a passive investor, meaning that they're not, they're not just handing their money over to a financial advisor, but they want someone to help them 
build that real estate portfolio, help them make the right decisions, provide them the team of people that they need, the resources that they're going to need, the information and knowledge that they're going to need. That's what we refer to as a passive real estate investor. That's the reason I called my, my podcast Passive Real Estate Investing. On the flip side, on the other end of that spectrum is what you, would, might, you might call a, an active real estate investor. An active real estate investor is someone who likes to roll up their sleeves and get in and get dirty and do the management and sometimes even do the work. And so that person is out looking for deals. They may be distressed sellers, distressed owners, but some sort of property where they can pick it up, maybe at, hopefully at a discount, add value, and then maybe flip it, but ideally keep it with a tenant in place to generate income. But that's when they're putting up more capital, taking on more risk, managing a team of people, doing some of the work themselves, overseeing the entire thing, taking on full responsibility from the point where they find their, and acquire that distressed asset to the point where it is fully stabilized and generating income. So there's a lot more uh, risk and moving pieces for someone who wants to do it actively. They need to make a choice. Do I want to be act, an active real estate investor and be deeply involved and you know have some brain damage along the way or be a <laughs> passive real estate investor? And we're going to help the people who want to be passive real estate investors, doctors, dentists, other types of professionals, anybody who's quote unquote busy is an ideal candidate for us. We have a framework and a system that we've been using for over 15 years that works every single time. And so that's who we help. We can't help the active real estate investor because we don't have distressed assets to, to, to provide them. Yeah, gotcha. that makes sense. Um, all right, so what, do, what does the financials look like for someone who is coming to you to, to invest in these properties? How are they financing these purchases? So the short and simple answer to that is uh, they have the benefit of get, being able to get conventional financing. Between Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, we have this government subsidized, these quasi-government agencies where you can get financing that's around five to five and a half percent on a 30-year fixed rate mortgage. That is incredible. And, you know, that's incredible financing historically and worldwide. So you as an investor just need to come up with 20%, sometimes 25%, depending on how many mortgages you have on your credit. So the beautiful thing about that is you can put as little as 20% down on, let's just say a $100,000 property, maybe $120,000 property, depending on the market in the country. Uh, that gives you a, a very nice three bedroom, two bath home. The, the, the lender will give you the other 80%. So you have 100% of a property, you get 100% of the benefits, you um, own 100% of it, you have 100% control, but you've only put 20% down to acquire that asset and borrow the other 80% in the form of good debt, mortgage financing. And now your tenant's gonna pay off that financing over the course of years uh, at the same time while you're getting all the tax benefits and cash flow from the property every month and every year. So that is the way you finance it. That's what the numbers look like on, on, the, on the financing side of it. Gotcha. So we're typically, you know, if an average home is $100,000, you're coming, anywhere, coming in with anywhere from twenty dollars to $25,000 uh, down, correct? Yeah. 20, we like to say um, if it's a $100,000 property, you're going to have a $20,000 down payment, about $2,000 in closing costs and title fees and other kinds of miscellaneous costs. And then in the beginning, we like to recommend or suggest that you have two or three months of gross rent put aside as, as a reserve, like operating capital. So that means two, another two or $3,000. So $25,000 is more than enough to get you going on that first $100,000 property. Now, if you're you know, a high, in, high income earner 
and you've banked several hundred thousand dollars. And we talk to clients who literally have millions of dollars, you know, parked away and they put this much in real estate and this much in, you know, various other types of assets. You can fast track what I'm talking about. If instead of getting one property or maybe two properties per year, why not get five or 10 this year if you have that ability? Well, now all of a sudden you've created, um, you know, immediate cash flow times five or 10 properties and your equity grows faster over, over the time because every year you're going to have on average, let's say four to 7% more in terms of equity growth just on the appreciation side. Um, and we don't bank on appreciation. That's icing on the cake. You know, we're, we're not going to talk about appreciation. It's there, it'll happen, but it's not the reason to buy. Um, it's cash flow. But then you have the amortization on the loan, which, you know, your five or 10 uh, tenants are paying down. So that grows your equity. Plus you have the depreciation, which is a beautiful tax benefit, but you don't have to send, spend a single penny to get that depreciation. So on paper, it looks like you didn't make any money, but in actuality, you have money going in your pocket because there's true cash flow flowing down into your bank account or into your pocket every year, even though you're not being taxed on it. If you have a good tax advisor, because the depreciation washes out that passive income. That's the beautiful thing about real estate. You can't do that with any other asset class. So whether you do one a year or 10 a year um, or 20 a year, it doesn't matter. The thing is, is you need to do it. It's the, in my opinion, it's the best way to invest. Uh, it is historically proven. It is the most tax favored asset class in the country right now. Um, and uh, it's a proven wealth creator. So, so whether they're talking to you guys or they're talking to us or they're educating themselves on, you know, um, you know, in their office and reading books, listening to podcasts, the thing is, is people need to take action. So yeah. is there any room for any kind of creative financing with turnkey? Um, for instance, someone using a HELOC, you know, people have a lot of times people have tons of equity in their home. Is there any room for that in turnkey? Interestingly, I just got an email yesterday from someone asking that exact question. They're, they own their principal residence free and clear, and they're asking whether we should put a 30-year fixed rate mortgage on it to, to pull some equity out or put a HELOC, a home equity line of credit, on their principal residence to pull some capital out um, and then take that and use it as the down payments uh, towards investment property. So the short answer is yes, you can do that. Um, the longer answer is you need to just grab a calculator, a pen and a pad and pencil the numbers out and see, okay, this is what my monthly cost is on that HELOC or 30 year fixed. Plus I have tax benefits on it because I could write off that interest. And if it's a mortgage on your principal residence, you still have the ability to deduct the, um, the interest from it. On the investment side, if you're acquiring rental properties, you can see what your cash flow is going to be. And if you're going to pay off the HELOC or the 30 year fixed using income from your rental properties, then you can deduct that extra debt service from the net operating income of your properties. And yes, you'll have lower cash flow initially, um, but you're still going to a benefit in the long term because your rents will increase over time, whereas your mortgage costs are fixed. Your equity will grow over time, uh, even though your debt is fixed. Um, but what you should do is have a plan to amortize that loan on your principal residence. So if it's a HELOC, it's interest only. You're going to have to have a plan to pay it off in time. And there are strategies to do that that are a little more advanced, you know, maybe outside the scope of this, this call or this uh, recording. Uh, with, if you get a 30-year fixed rate mortgage and it's a small mortgage on your property, well, it's going to amortize itself. Now, you can accelerate that and pay it off rapidly and quickly, but there's a plan in place to amortize that loan. So to your question about creative financing strategies, yes, you can do it. Um, 
you can't get seller financing if that's what you were thinking that that's just not possible with you know with a turnkey rental flip because it's it's essentially a person it's a builder or a professional rehabber that needs to turn that property over relatively quickly so they got they got expensive money locked up in that property and they need to pull it back out as quickly as they can so the interest doesn't eat them up gotcha okay. So one more question about uh, funding this. Um, do you have, I know the answer to this, but I want to hear you talk about it is that, uh, do you have people who invest from retirement accounts? Yes. Um, it's not what we normally recommend they do to start with, but if it's their only option, then it's something they certainly can do. Um, there's a lot of monies in the retirement world in IRAs and 401ks that, that are trapped and tied up and are underperforming. And with the, the way the stock market is today, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, but it is overvalued. The PE ratios are very, very high. And frankly, I think we're in a danger zone right now. And it's, it's just, we're on borrowed time. It's just a question of when we're going to see a correction and a pretty big correction at that. So when we have that pullback, people are going to lose equity in their accounts. It's going to vaporize overnight. But if you can turn your 401k or your IRA into a self-directed account, which a lot of people can, in fact, I want to say most people can, unless your your hands are tied at your employers because you have a 401k that you can't change. But most IRAs can be changed into a self-directed IRA. If if those are the only savings funds or investable funds you have, then, then it's okay to use that. What you give up though, and this is why it's not what I recommend you do first or where you start you lose the depreciation benefit. So the depreciation on that property cannot flow through to you per, on your personal tax return if it's trapped in a retirement account. So that's why it's not the best place to, st- to start. But if it's your only option, it's not a bad option. It's just you don't get all the benefits of real estate by investing in real estate within a self-directed retirement account. And of course, it's all third. It has to be arm's length. Everything's third party. You cannot derive any personal benefits from any real estate you own in a retirement account. You, it just has to be completely separated from you. Gotcha. That makes gotcha. sense. I'm just curious. So you're talking about that 100,000, 120,000 price point. Is that typically what most of your properties that you're, um, that people are investing in are at, or is it sort of fluctuate? Uh, yeah. So the, the range is roughly about 80,000 on the low end to about 150 to 170 on the high end. That's the range of three, typically three bedrooms, sometimes four bedroom homes, single family detached. Now we do have duplexes, triplexes, and fourplexes in different markets from time to time. It's a harder type of property uh, to find. And a lot of our duplexes and fourplexes are new construction. But if you want to look at the average or the median price of what our investors are purchasing, this is just how the, the chips fall on the table. It's 110 to 120,000. That's, that's the median price. Um, those same properties rent for about roughly 1% of that acquisition. So $110,000 property is going to be renting for roughly 1100 a month, plus or minus. And those are just how the numbers shake out. Well, let's talk about time a little bit. Um, you know, part of what you are, the service you're providing is you are um, removing the, the time commitment, uh, you know, because you're creating for passive investors. Um, but there are some there are some things that that a passive investor needs to do, even with a turnkey property. Can you talk a little bit about some of those things that they might need to handle, both in the acquisition mode and then the maintenance mode? So everybody starts off with with a uh, a strategy session with one of our investment counselors, and that's really to discuss where you're at, what you're trying to achieve, 
um, and our, you know answer questions and go over you know the services and the process. Uh, ultimately, it, it it works down to be a funnel approach. Um, this is my sixth of my ten rules of successful real estate investing. It's take a top down approach. So a lot of people are pre presented with properties and they're saying, oh, okay, this is a good deal. Yeah, the numbers look good, the photos look good, the video looks great. Yeah, it's a good deal, but. A lot of investors make the mistake of not really putting enough or any consideration into the location, its area, the neighborhood it's in, and then stepping back out and looking at the market. You're doing it in reverse. What you need to do is start with the market first. Let's look at the metropolitan area and see what's going on there at a kind of a macroeconomic level. Let's look at jobs and job growth and, and migration patterns and the diversity of the economy and the diversity of industry within that economy. And then let's work our way down to the sub-markets, suburbs and neighborhoods and we're going to focus on the ones that make the most sense as an as a long-term buy and hold rental property investor you want a certain type of demographic you want stability in the area you'd like to see growth maybe it's in the path of progress it's good to see certain types of um you know um, retailers and vendors and whatnot in that area then you look at the property yes the property is important yes you want properties that don't have deferred maintenance and have good rates of return the process is top down not bottom up or bottom only. So that's the process. So it starts off with a strategy session, understanding what we do, the markets we're in. Let's get into your head. Let's find out what you're trying to achieve and, and map that out. So that's where it all starts. And then and then ultimately we get to the point where we're we've decided on one market, maybe two. We start looking at properties and you maybe you know shortlist the top three properties that meet your investment criteria. At that point you you're gonna put one or two under contract. We'll open escrow you'll be introduced to different people out in the field such as the the builder or the the property provider that we're working with because we have boots on the ground and so we want to put you in touch with them you'll be talking to the property management company and getting a management agreement in place with them uh, right from the beginning you're going to be working with a lender whether it's yours or one of ours we're going to recommend three to five uh, lenders and mortgage brokers that do nothing but do investment loans for investors they specialize in this area and and are very strategic about it so we highly recommend you work with them. You don't have to, but that starts right from the, the beginning because the financing is a critical part of this acquisition of, of your investing. So you're working with different people right from the get-go, um, but we, figuratively speaking, hold your hand through that whole process as we decide on the market, the neighborhood, the property, introduce you to our teams, get your financing in place. So you're actively involved. You might be putting in anywhere from three to 10 hours um, over the course of let's say six to eight weeks from that first call with us uh, through the process of your financing and, and market selection and, and property selection. Now that's just peppered over the course of you know six to eight weeks. It's not all in one day. So it's very doable. The longest phone call you'll probably ever have with us in any one sitting is an hour. Sometimes it's a five minute call. Sometimes it's a 10 minute call. Often it's email. It gets to the point where the, uh, the phone calls trail off to almost nothing and you know just communication via email because of documentation and questioning just increases until you close and then there's you know some post close follow up and and conversation just to make sure everything is running smooth any questions all that kind of stuff and often those people are now segueing into their second or their next investment property because they've just closed on their first now they're ready for their second that could be two days two weeks two months after that they're moving on to the next one so long answer to your question, but really it's not a long or complicated process, but there is engagement and some time involved in the beginning because you just can't push a button on a computer keyboard and say bye and it's done. <laughs>
Yeah. Once someone has purchased a property, are they kind of responsible for working with the property management people and, and those boots on the ground people? Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately you're going to be just dealing directly with the local property management company, a full service property management company. We're always there. If you have any questions, you know, if you have anything to, um, uh, you know, talk about, or you're not clear on something, we're always there. You know, we're always available because we're your number one point of contact, but on the local level, it's your management company that you're going to be dealing with. And it's not that you're talking to them like every day or every week, you may never hear from them. You might hear from them once a year, you'll get statements from them, but it's not like you need to be on the phone with them. Their, their job is to manage your asset and that's what they're doing. And if there's a question or an issue, they'll let you know. Awesome. Gotcha. Are there any um, systems or automations that you have developed that help the investors sort of manage their properties and things like that? Well, the management side of things, I, I think I understand what you're asking. So as you start to build your portfolio, you're, you're going to have some sort of record keeping or bookkeeping system in place. Some people use QuickBooks. Some people use, believe it or not, spreadsheets. Uh, there are some online services, tools that you can use that help automate and streamline the entire income and expense and management piece of it, which is more like a dashboard than really a work tool but it allows you just to keep everything together and it spits out your tax returns or your tax forms every year and you just give them to your tax advisor and away you go. So it really minimizes the amount of time you need to spend. Um, part of it's just communication with your property managers if and when needed. And part of it's just tracking your income and expenses once a month. And if that's like five minutes per property, 10 minutes per property, or it could be a lot less than that if you have automation tools, uh, you know, you might be spending like literally 15 minutes on a por whole portfolio of properties every month. And then, you know, tax time, you just hand over the documentation to your tax advisor. So it's not time intensive and there, you don't need a lot of big or sophisticated tools to track your portfolio, you know, after the fact. Yeah. yeah. Now, when you talk about, is one of the tools you're mentioning Stessa? Yeah. Yes. That's, that's, that's uh, one of the tools and they're, they're relatively new, but they've done a great, great job in, creating automation systems and tools for portfolio management. Gotcha. Gotcha. So as far as someone um, who wants to invest, are they able to invest outside of their own market? I kind of know the answer here, but you know, if we're here in Las Vegas, where are we looking at investing if we want to buy a turnkey property from you? So some people are fortunate enough to live in a market where I like to say their backyard is is ripe with investment opportunities. And that's great. If that's if that's you, maybe that's the best place to start because you're more you're familiar and comfortable with your your market. Now, it's important that you break the psychological part of this with the objective part of it. You don't want to get trapped into thinking that you have to invest in your backyard because you need to drive by the property every day and see it and be able to put your hand and touch the brick. Uh, you know, that doesn't change anything about that investment. You need to put your money to work where it's going to work the hardest for you. It's no different than any other type of investment. So that might mean that even if you live in Vegas or wherever you live, you have to choose a market where you're going to have the best opportunities in terms of of uh, growth potential, inventory selection, cash flow, uh, and just opportunities in general. So some of us are fortunate to live in those markets. Many of us and most of our clients come to us because they're in expensive markets like California, uh, Seattle, New Jersey, New York, um, just places that are inflated or, or maybe there's just no inventory where they live. 
or they just need the help. They don't care where they live. Like I have this saying, live where you want, invest where it makes sense. You don't need to invest in your backyard. Uh, a lot of the so-called gurus, quote unquote, will say, yeah, you should only invest within a one or two hour drive or radius of where you live. Well, if you're an active real estate investor, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, if you're going to be the boots on the ground or managing contractors, but if you are investing and you're market agnostic as we are, then it really doesn't matter where you live. You just want to invest where it makes sense for you um, economically, fundamentally, financially, you know, it's just, that's what you want to do. So, um, so the short answer is, is it, it doesn't matter where you live. It's the question is where is your money going to work the hardest for you? And those are the markets that you should be focused on and doing some evaluation on. Gotcha. Well, you've touched on this a couple of times, but I want to dig a little, a little bit deeper about market selection because I completely agree with you that it's, it's literally where you should start. Um, what are some of the fundamentals that you're looking at in a market that make it um, a potential market that you guys want to be putting your investors into? Generally speaking, the, the larger metropolitan area, you want it to be at least half a million people. That, that's what we'll refer to as a tier two market. Uh, the smaller markets are sometimes where we go because we can't find opportunity or inventory in other markets. And we'll refer to those as, as a, a tertiary or a tier three type of market. But our favorites are, are the mid-tier, the tier two markets. Um, we like to see um, inventory. We like to see population growth. At the heart of it all are jobs. Is there, are there jobs and there, is there job growth? Because that's going to drive people in or push people out. So that's a critical factor. Um, diversity in the economy, meaning that there's uh, a broad, diverse uh, uh, cross-section of industry within that economy, that local economy. That helps because you don't want to be in a one-trick pony market that's just all oil and gas because that's going to obviously fluctuate with the price of oil and you know it's either feast or famine in those types of markets. So those are the things we look at at the market level. And if you have those things going for you, um, in addition to obviously having available inventory to invest in, because a lot of markets are very tight, like Atlanta, for example, it's been a perennial market for us for a long, long time. And for years now, we've just had a very, very hard time getting any kind of inventory there. And last but not least is just having the right team on the ground, the boots on the ground. You know, we, you know, we find these people and vet them and we have teams in every local market. Uh, if you don't have, have that, you really don't have much at all because you need the people to work with that are going to be um, helping you execute and, and achieve your investment goals. So team is very important. It's a people business, not a property business. That's a good point. Well, we sort of touched on uh, this next subject earlier, but where do you think we are in the the market cycle right now? Um, obviously, we know that you can't necessarily time everything, but we, we you sort of touched on this earlier. Yeah, um, I mean, if we, we're talking about the general economy, it's nobody really has a crystal ball. You know, you've got guys like Peter Schiff, who's you know I've gotten to know fairly well, and. He, uh, you know, he's always doom and gloom everything. So you know, the, the, for him, you know, the, the, the crap's going to hit the fan any day now. And it has that been that way, you know, for years. And you know what, at some day he will be right. But, you know, uh, the thing is, is I would say that on a, on, a, on a macro level, you know, we probably have another year or two of good, productive, hot market years in the economy. Um, a lot of people are saying 2020 is the year we're going to start to see the, uh, you know, a, a recession of some kind because we are overdue. 
uh, we've had we've had an economy that's just been running hot for many many years, and it's got to take a breather at some point in time. It does need to pull back a little bit and just have a breather, to let things you know stabilize. Um, but again, I don't have a, a crystal ball. But here's here's the point of all that. I personally don't care what the economy is doing. I mean, I do, but I don't because I'm going to look after my own personal economy, not worry about the national or global economy. Yes, it does have an impact on on everything you and I do, but I just know that people need housing, and if I can buy and invest in housing that is in good markets and good neighborhoods, and I'm providing the community with safe, clean, functional housing that they're happy to live in and and are proud to be there, and I know that I'm servicing them well as my customer, then my local economy takes care of itself. So as long as I'm providing good value and good service and I have good product and good properties to offer people, I and I'm in a market where I know that there's a big rental pool, I'll always have my properties leased. So I'm not going to worry about it. Gotcha. You don't have a crystal ball um, and neither do any of your investors. Is there any ways that you advise your clients on protecting their downside risk um, investing in these properties? Protecting their downside risk. Well, I think I think what I just said like a minute ago is is the way to do it. Just provide safe, clean, functional housing in good neighborhoods, you know, that um, that will always stay leased because it has a very large uh, tenant pool and you're kind of in the middle of that bell curve where people in the upper socioeconomic ladder can slide down into and, and vice versa. People in the lower strata can move up into as as the economy and times get better or worse. I think that's really how you protect your investments is just don't go out on the fringe. Don't be in the war zones. Don't be in the high end premium A plus type neighborhoods that get hit first and the hardest, you know, when there is a real estate market cycle downturn. Just put yourself in the bread and butter areas um, where you have, you know, low crime and just good rental markets. Gotcha. No, that's exactly what I was looking for. So. <laughs> All right. So for someone who wants to get into to buying some turnkey properties, what would you say is the most critical skill that, that someone wants to get into this needs? Um, well, it, it's first and foremost is really just the desire. You know, a lot of people think about, well, sadly enough, a lot of people don't think about their financial future until, you know, they get into their mid years and then they start to realize, oh crap, you know, I, I, actually, if, you know what, if you guys don't mind, I want to read you an email. Uh, it's like a couple sentences that I just got this morning, literally. Um, so I'll read you just a, a sentence. So this guy says, Marco, I've been listening to your passive real estate investing podcast for almost two years. I always thought I would eventually get into real estate, but assume this would be something I would do after I retire. From listening to your podcast and educating myself, I eventually realized that I need to start increasing my monthly cash flow and building wealth now so I can live the life I want for me and my family. I finally took the plunge and closed blah, 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 blah. So, I mean, if that doesn't say it all, <laughs> <you know. laughs> It's like you just yeah. need to have, you have to know that it's there, have an understanding that you need to take action and do it now, not later, and, and just take action. Just, in, you know, have the inspiration to, to, and the courage to move forward and do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, if you could hit a magic reset button and start your investment career all over again, knowing what you know now, is there anything that you would do differently? Uh, start as early as you can. Buy and hold, never sell. Educate yourself from day one and never stop being a student. Always educate yourself. Um, those are probably the biggest three. Gotcha. 
Um, and any other advice that you might give someone um, that is looking to get into this real estate asset that has a job and a family that might apply to them specifically? You have two basic options. If you don't want to be the active real estate investor I talked about before, and you know you want to and need to invest in real estate, and you want to be a successful passive real estate investor, you have two basic options. You know, we can chop this up into, you know, multiple different paths forward, but you can partner with other people and invest in what typically is larger real estate, like apartments and, you know, other types of syndications. They're essentially group investments. And you, if you know, trust the people you're investing with, and you believe that they're going to do a good job and generate a return on your invested capital, then you can invest in a group investment, a syndication, a partnership, whatever you want to call it, same thing. Related to that, but not quite the same, is you be a direct owner, build your own real estate portfolio, own and manage your managers, and let them manage your assets, your portfolio. Um, you have no partners in that scenario, but you're achieving all the benefits of real estate from, you know, the income or the cash flow through to the depreciation. So you get all the benefits. Those are really the two main ways to invest in real estate passively. You either be a direct owner, own the portfolio, build it yourself with a team. You're not doing it alone. And that's the turnkey space that we're in. The other is investing with groups, other partners and do the syndication route. Uh, you know, they're similar, they have some pros and cons, um, but they are both very successful ways to invest. So you just need to ask yourself, what is it I want to do? And it's not necessarily either or, it can be and, you know, this and that. Awesome. Well, listen, Marco, thank you so much for your time today. We really um, appreciate your time and appreciate you sharing uh, everything. I, re I really enjoyed it. So. Yeah, I did too. If um, our guests want to reach out to you, what's the best place that they can find you? Well, Neil and Brittany, I appreciate you having me on today. Thank you so much. This has been great and a lot of fun. I hope we've passed on some good information to your listeners. Um, as far as reaching me and my team, uh, there's just two websites. Uh, PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com is the easy one to remember. Uh, that is also the home of the podcast. The, uh, the other site that has all the properties that we have available um, at any given time is noradarealestate.com. Norada is N-O-R-A-D-A, noradarealestate.com. And I apologize if I mispronounce that. I, we always get very uh, worked up when people mispronounce Nevada, Nevada. So I, I apologize. No, don't worry about it. I don't even know how to pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> so. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks again, Marco. All right, guys. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, that was Marco Santarelli um, of NoradaRealEstate.com and the Passive Real Estate Investing Podcast. And that was an awesome interview. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, what was the, what do you think the key lesson learned from this interview was for you? I think the big one was that if you don't have time to actively invest, or maybe if like you don't have time right now, that this might be a good place to start because you probably would learn a lot. I and mean, we didn't really talk about that, but they take you through all the steps. They hold your hand. So you're going to learn a lot from this process. And then you can figure out if that's like the way you want to stay with passive real estate investing, or if you might want to go to the, the active real estate side. And if if you did, you kind of know what processes and what things you need to set up if you decided you wanted to do, um, you know, do the, uh, like the Burr method um, mm -hmm. for, you know, a single family home. So um, that was kind of my takeaway is that it's, it's a great place to start for someone who really is super time constrained. You know, obviously everybody's family is going to be different um, in how much flexibility they have and, and, you know, time 
and where they're at in their family cycle. We have a four-year-old. We don't have a lot of time because of that. Um, so maybe this would be a good place for someone like us to start. Yep. Uh, for me, the big one was um, beginning with a roadmap, uh, really having a good idea of where it is that you want to get to um, and having and allowing that to inform your investment criteria mm -hmm. um, for the types of investment you're looking for, um, the market you're looking for. Otherwise, you're just going to end up all over the map looking yeah. at everything. So. Yeah. Well, and I think that probably applies to really investing in general. Like you really need to have that destination in mind and, and get things set out because if not, you know, if you are interested in active real estate investing and we have plenty of guests that um, have come on and will come on that talk about active real estate investing and how you can do that, that's great, but you want to make sure that you don't end up with squirrel syndrome and um, that you're, you know, the, the, I were speaking to the choir a little bit, um, Neil Henderson, no. <laughs> um, you know, you don't want to be like, okay, well, this is cool and this is cool and this is cool, but if it doesn't line up with your roadmap, with where you're trying to get to, um, then, then that's probably not a good strategy to go with. It might be part of your roadmap map later, but if you've really got it set out at first, um, it, it's going to give you a good place to start just generally. And, and that's, I mean, really, that's probably a good um, recommendation for anything in life that yes. you want to do. Yes. <laughs> Begin with the end in mind. Yes. Yeah. And then set up your, your process. I mean, um, even there's a book that uh, Neil and I tend to trade books. I'll read one that I'm really interested in that I think is really cool. And then I'll say, you know, and it's maybe not quite so much in in Neil's wheelhouse. And so I will trade him a book. You read this one, I will read one or more of your choice. And recently he asked me to read Atomic Habits. And um, I can't remember the author's name right now. James Clear. James Clear. So he really talks kind of same sort of thing. He talks about like, you know, having that destination mine as a goal, but the roadmap for him is the systems that put that in place. And that's really important. Um, and without really having the systems and, and those, you know, strategies in place, um, even if you know where you want to go, it just ends up being kind of a pipe dream. So it's really not just about that destination. It's about that roadmap and the systems that you use to get there. So, um, that's, it's something really important to, to keep in mind as you go through this journey and, and make sure that you, you don't have that squirrel syndrome. Yeah. Squirrel. <laughs> um, so as far as someone who's looking to get into this, into turnkey investing, what sort of knowledge do you think they're going to need to start off with? Not a lot. Um, I, I mean, you could have almost nothing at all. I think the basic knowledge is that uh, real estate investments are good. <laughs> mm -hmm. This good, <laughs> do it. Yeah, no, um, I really think it's just, just knowing that it's something that they want to do, I think is what um, Marco said specifically. They need to, to be interested in it, know that it's beneficial, have that desire. Um, and, and then they, um, they will take care of the education um, going forward or recommend where to continue your education. Gotcha. All right. So time, how much time does someone need to spend who is investing? Well, uh, there's, there's two, uh, we often talk about there's in real estate, there's sort of two time periods. There's the acquisition period and then there's the maintenance period. Um, and he talked about in the acquisition period, you're looking at about eight to 10 hours Mm -hmm. a week for no no it wasn't eight to ten hours a week it was eight to ten hours over it was three to ten hours over six to eight weeks 
Gotcha. So oh, like maybe an hour a week. Gotcha. Gotcha. Hour to two hours. And it sounded like a lot of that is sort of at the beginning, you're going to have probably a little bit more time and then things start to taper off and it goes to email at some point. So you might have, and he said the calls were what five minutes to an hour, hour being the most. Yeah. Um, so I guess some of those like that hour call might happen in that first couple of weeks. And then from there, it's really just checking in yeah. or um, you know, figuring out those other, you know, pieces, um, boots on the ground, that kind of thing. Yep. So how much money does it take for someone to get started in a turnkey property? Uh, well, it's typically, um, you're, you're going to need to come up with 20 to 25% down plus typically a little bit of a reserve to mm -hmm. cover the mortgage for three to six months. That's what banks like to see. So if you're looking at a hundred thousand dollar property, for instance, you're looking at probably needing to come up with anywhere from twenty to $30,000 yeah. to get started. Okay. That makes so. sense. Um, and just kind of, we talked about in money that, that creative financing, there's not a lot of wiggle room there, but you can do some self-directed um, retirement funds and use those as a capital option. Um, maybe not as ideal because you can't actually use that for cash flow. But if you, um, you know, if you have that money sitting there in the markets, the market's doing okay, but you want to get yeah. more cash flow into it, that would be an okay thing to start with. Or um, if you have a HELOC, that would be an option. However, you know, you want to make sure that the the return on investment, the cash flow, is going to be able to cover the interest that you're going to have to pay on that HELOC, and that it's going to be um, be able to be paid back in a you know, a good amount of time. So that might be something that if you wanted to do a HELOC that you already have some cash and that that sort of is part of it maybe, and that's just like a smaller part of it if you needed to increase that cash might be a better option. Yep. Um, okay, so, and then is this location dependent? No, no, no it's absolutely, uh, the whole point of this is to be able to, as uh, Marco said, uh, live where you want and invest where it makes sense. Yes. Um, so yeah, so this would be, you know, ideal for someone, um, like our family that has a dream of like traveling the world at some point, you know, if, if we're investing in this kind of, in this kind of asset, we don't have to worry about it when we go somewhere, because generally speaking, we might be talking to our property manager once in a year. And if it's more than that, it, it's typically, we're not going to have to be doing a lot of work associated with it. It might just be like, oh, like an AC died and they're wanting to fix that, but it's over the threshold of their prerogative for, you know, how much money they are allowed to just spend. Gotcha. So... <laughs> Anything else you want to say about Marco? No. Do you love me? I do love you very much. You're a goofball. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, that was Marco Santarelli with the Passive Real Estate Investing Podcast and Narada uh, Investing. And uh, thanks Catch to him next for- time. Let's yeah. hit the road. Bye. And if you like this podcast, we would really appreciate it if you take just a few minutes and leave a review for us on iTunes. It's really simple to do. Just go to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash review for links and instructions. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels.